0: Hello and welcome to Cover to Credits, the biweekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George.
1: And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Dr. No. Dr. No was written by Ian Fleming and was published in 1958.
0: And the film adaptation, which came out in 1962, was directed by Terrence Young.
1: And here we are doing a Bond Adaptation, which has been on our long list definitely for a while because they're such iconic films, you know, based off of books.
0: Yeah. And so, uh, and especially once Sean Connery passed away, we were like, okay, we should really do one. And this was pretty much about as soon as we could fit it in our schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Six months later, however long it's been.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting about this is Dr. No is the first James Bond movie that was made but it's not the first James Bond book that was written. So basically, they're all in different order.
0: Yeah, and so, and this was interesting because I was like, why? I'm like, was this like a more popular James Bond book? Um, But the reason actually that they chose this book to adapt for the first film was that uh, this first film did not have a very big budget. And this novel actually is a pretty localized or... um, narrower scope of a bond story it only takes place in jamaica primarily Mm -hmm. uh small locations and kind of only one big kind of action set piece location as well yeah so it was because i mean usually when you think of a bond film you think of a globe trotting oh yeah first he's in brazil then he's in russia then he's he's on
1: helicopters yeah
0: and planes and but uh and i didn't even think about that but it's true this is a very kind of um focused story where that's concerned. Yeah. It's taking place primarily in Jamaica. So that's kind of what led them to chose Dr. No as their first James Bond adaptation.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. And what is your experience with James Bond?
0: So I only really started watching any James Bond films when Daniel Craig took over. Really? Which was, I mean, what, 2007? Yeah. I would have been... Fourteen. Mm-hmm. My dad never watched those movies when I was growing up or anything like that. And yeah. I think at that point, I think James Bond had kind of like fizzled out a lot. Like it was kind of not a joke. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Daniel Craig actually blamed Austin Powers for kind of ruining <laughs> James Bond for a period like no one could take it seriously anymore. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't until the grittier Daniel Craig reboot that I started watching those films. And I've only seen the Daniel Craig ones, really. I've seen bits of others, but Certainly not the older ones.
1: Yeah. Um, my dad loved the James Bond films, so he watched them all the time. And I don't have a lot of memories of them, but I do remember watching them and being like, these are weird because there was so many like cheesy over the- top moments that I think you're supposed to like acknowledge are silly. but also there's like all these action scenes and seriousness to them as well. So it's like this very interesting blend of like comedy, And being over the top, but also a little bit serious.
0: Yeah, like you're kind of supposed to laugh at Bond, but also think he's like the man. Yeah. It is kind of a weird tone that sometimes like comes across as odd, even in the new films. You know what I mean?
1: Well, and like the thing that always made me uncomfortable, even as a child, was the objectification of women.
0: Yeah. And we'll
1: get into that when we talk about more about like the women in this particular story, but... Even when I was young, I was like, it feels weird, like, and now I think as an adult, I can see that it was like, oh, it's like over the top. It's kind of funny how like sexualized they are. Like we're we're in on the joke, which you know, doesn't mean that it's still not sexist and terrible. You yeah. Know? <laughs> to say that you're like making a joke doesn't make it okay. Um, but like even as a kid, I felt like these movies aren't for me and like my place isn't here watching this movie like I just had this really uncomfortable feeling watching them even when I was younger
0: yeah uh listeners will probably not be shocked to find out that we will be discussing and addressing the sexism of this story (laughs) and James Bond as a whole
1: yeah exactly (laughs) but let's get started with the story and in terms of the movie that starts with the opening credits
0: Yeah, so the opening credits were designed by uh, Maurice Binder. I actually thought they were uh, Saul Bass opening credits Mm -hmm. um, because he was also very uh, prominent early title credits designer. Uh, But this is another guy who's done a lot of work in film early on. And he, first of all, created and established the opening shot of that goes looking through the gun barrel at Bond. Yeah. And then getting shot with the blood drizzling down, which I mean, just became a staple and became so iconic mm-hmm. in the franchise for years. But beyond that and establishing that, it goes into these kind of rapid title sequence that's just like dots, colored dots. Yeah. Disappearing and rearranging. Blinking. Yeah. The title Dr. No disappearing and like shifting around It's just very like chaotic and hectic but like it fits the music so perfectly it's kind of synced with the music and it's just a really good example of how simple title credits can be cinefix does a really good top 10 opening title credits video that i will link to on our patreon yeah this was on the list at like number six or something Mm -hmm. um and kind of made me really appreciate how good they're they are
1: yeah and for this being like the first film it really sets the tone for the rest of the series like all the movies from then on I mean I don't know if all of them do this but most of them have like kind of a really interesting title sequence you know this is the first film to introduce the James Bond theme music which comes up again in other movies as well so this movie really did do a lot
0: and Maurice Binder as far as I know did like a lot of the early Bond title sequences oh, cool. and he kind of like went on to do a bunch of different kind of inventive and creative things with the opening titles which once again just became a staple of this franchise for years
1: yeah we pick up in the story with someone a new uh, random character Strangways who is a secret service operative and he gets killed so <laughs> yep. that's the, fun.
0: The story begins with a good old fashioned murder. Yeah. He's stationed in Jamaica and gets killed by three men who are posing as uh blind beggars. Mm-hmm. And then his station is kind of ransacked. And in the book, it's actually burned to the ground.
1: Yeah. And his secretary or liaison um, Mary is also killed as well. Yeah.
0: Mary Trueblood. Yeah. Strangways and Trueblood.
1: Very interesting names.
0: Ian Fleming has so many odd. I mean, even the title Dr. No. I know. You know what I mean? He does do a good job with coming up with. I mean, sometimes they're like way too much. Yeah. (laughs) Especially like the Bond girls sometimes have names that are so absurd. Yeah. Uh, But this one does have some memorable ones.
1: Yeah, and then we head to London and the movie actually has additional scenes that the book doesn't have. And we first meet Bond in like a casino gambling against Mm -hmm. this like sexy lady. It's definitely trying to establish Bond as a character for us.
2: Yeah. I think
1: before he goes on his assignment.
0: And it does a good job. I even like the way it's filmed where you hear the discussion back and forth a bit before you even see his face. Yeah. Kind of building up that suspense of seeing him and establishing establishing him as being like you know this cool prominent figure yeah uh something interesting about this james bond movie and early james bond movies as a whole is the dubbing that goes on in these films yeah which is where lines are re-recorded the audio of them are re-recorded and then they're put kind of over top of the original footage Sometimes it's noticeable, I think, especially nowadays when it's done and not done well. You can tell. Yeah. Uh, But back then, they went dub crazy. Oh, my God. Because a lot of characters, a lot of women specifically in this Bond movie were dubbed.
1: Yeah. So the main um, Bond girl, uh, Honey, in this movie, all her lines are dubbed. Yeah. Um, And she was a Swiss actress and model so like i guess her accent was a little bit too strong for what they wanted so they got someone else to do her voice the woman that bond plays against at the casino miss trench Yeah, yeah is dubbed um one of the other women is dubbed as well i forget who
0: uh, the, the, the Chinese quote, secretary. Quote, unquote,
1: <laughs>
0: Chinese secretary. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: And it's just like... And Strangway Strang, from the beginning. Yeah, it's just like, why are you dubbing so many characters?
0: So there's a couple reasons why um first of all because these films were made either overseas or in the UK yeah uh, they did get a lot of European actors who oftentimes had heavy accents Mm -hmm. and sometimes I guess it was just too much or more than like the studio wanted so they cast someone and by the way one woman dubbed the lines for like all the women in this film so it wasn't even just the actresses coming back later to dub the no. lines. It was a totally new person. And
1: she's doing everybody's voice. And this woman, and I forgot to write down her name, she actually came out with a book called um, For Your Ears Only. She <laughs> That's did, good. I like that. she did dubbing through out so many bond movies she was like their go-to for women
0: well and i heard even bond was dubbed a lot in on her majesty's secret service really uh i don't know how true that is but that was maybe kind of the last one before they kind of pulled back and i also heard that aside from the accents that uh the recording equipment at the time also wasn't that great so recording on location because i mean you know, in a lot of scenes, they're like on the beach. Yeah. Which you get a lot of sound from the the tide and the waves or, uh, you know, out in the jungle or even just like out anywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, I heard like the the recording equipment wasn't great and you want it to all kind of sound relatively even and the same and clear. Yeah. So between that and the accents, it led them to just redubbing a lot of the dialogue. And like, it's funny because like, it almost makes sense in a way in a Hollywood way where it's like hey let's get this gorgeous woman <laughs> to just visually be this character yeah. and then let's hire another woman whose whole job is voice acting who will give her like a clear and like distinct and sexy voice oh my God. and we'll just match these women together into a Frankenstein idealized
1: wh- version. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, but this was kind of what led to a lot of dubbing in, like, specifically these early films.
1: Yeah. So fascinating and so weird. And I was so shocked when I read about that. I was looking at the Wikipedia <laughs> yeah. entry and I was like, oh my God.
0: I had to use the bathroom in the middle of this movie. And when I came back, Adina had, like, was six Wikipedia pages in, like, unraveling <laughs> this conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you're going to want to read this. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: Bond is interrupted with his casino gambling to report to his job, I guess. And he meets with M, who is a figure we'll, we'll see in future Bond books and Bond movies as well, and gives him this assignment in Jamaica. You know, someone in their organization disappeared. They don't know what happened to him. They di- there wasn't a body, so uh James Bond is there to investigate.
0: Yeah, and we actually find out in the book in the previous book uh Bond had been poisoned. Yeah. And was like seriously injured and had to like recover for quite a while like in a hospital and then like physically recover to like his, you know, physical condition he needs to work. Yeah. So, he went through like a pretty big ordeal and when he's given this assignment, M is kind of very dismissive of it.
2: Yeah. He thinks
0: that Strangways and True Blood were like in love and just ran away together.
1: Mm-hmm. Which
2: is
0: weird because, like, the building was burned down.
1: Yeah, why would they burn down their house?
0: And, and like, I'm sorry, M, but like, as the head of like
1: the British intelligence.
0: Yeah, your first thought shouldn't have been like, ah, they probably just ran away together. I'm like,
1: what? You're supposed to be suspicious of everything, I especially know. when it involves one of your officers. And do you really think that one of your trusted officers would just be like, all right, peace out? Like, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna dip with my lady. Like,
1: he might not get his pension. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it was
0: just very weird in the book to read that.
1: It was, and M was kind of a dick. Like the yeah. whole time. Like he was kind of like, Oh, Bond, why don't you go uh, to Jamaica to have like some fun in the sun, my friend? And Bond was like, Well, I don't really want to do that. Like, I'd rather just do like a regular mission. And he's like, No, I think like this is the type of mission that you can handle. Let's start
0: you off slow. It's like he's
1: mad at him for being poisoned.
0: <laughs> yeah. He like <laughs> blames him. He's like, Oh, you shouldn't have let that lady get like the upper hand on you or something. Yeah. Jesus, M.
1: I know it's it's insane,
0: <laughs> luckily, M in the film is smarter. Like the house that Strangways and True Blood had wasn't burned down. and yeah. he's still suspicious.
2: yeah,,
0: uh, and there's kind of varying reasons why Strangways was in Jamaica, but they're still not totally sure about why he was killed or what exactly was going on. So Bond is being sent down to investigate,
1: yes. But before he goes, he has to part with his best friend in the whole world. It's the most, depressing and like poignant moment i think in the whole book yeah he's very sad he's very touched he has to say goodbye to an old friend it's his gun
0: (laughs) it's his gun (laughs) definitely not uh symbolic of his penis or anything it's just a gun don't look into it too much
2: yeah yeah Uh,
0: he's he he has this uh beretta gun that he was attached to and like the what do they call him the uh
1: Oh, the quartermaster. The
0: quartermaster kind of like shit talks the gun and is like, "Oh, this is like a lady's gun." Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, and like insists uh, Bond changes to a different gun, a Walter PPK.
1: Yeah, again with the the guns and their first names, like <laughs>
0: their Christian names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's like this whole thing, and like I don't know. I, I'm guessing in the book that this is kind of like. Bond feels like he's being shunned by M and kind of being yeah. like whatever. But I'm like, why was this scene in the film? I don't know. It kind of really doesn't like...
1: Maybe just to be like, look at my guns. I
0: guess. <laughs> it Like, I guess it establishes that he's had previous missions and like they allude to the other gun jamming and that kind of thing. So I yeah. guess it kind of like fills in a bit of backstory and mystery to Bond. But like ultimately it's like feels a little odd.
1: It does. Yeah. Because like this is the first... Movie,
0: Yeah. And he's like, you're done using that gun, Bond. And it's like, (laughs) what do you mean? We haven't seen. He's never used
1: it. We've never seen this man. Exactly. He heads to Jamaica and right away in the movie, he runs into some troubles because uh, his driver is very suspicious and he's also... Like not only did they plant a driver for him, but they also had him followed by a different car. I think that
0: car was the CIA agent. Oh, OK. I'm guessing we don't know, but he was being tailed at the airport by. Yeah, that's true. Um, I forget the guy's name. He's a character that appears in other books, not this one, but other Bond books and films. Yeah, I can't remember, but uh, Bond has the driver pull over and then proceeds to like beat up the driver because he knows he's not a real driver and he's trying to kill him. And then the
1: driver, like, swallows some cyanide and just kills himself, so that's dramatic.
0: The early fight's a little cheesy, like this kind of, like, flip that Bond does on the guy. Uh, There's a later confrontation where Sean Connery has to kick a knife out of a guy's hand and then kick someone else, (laughs) and that was pretty quick. Like, he was pretty quick on his feet for that one. Yeah, The early one's a little... I don't a little know. silly. Yeah, it made me think of like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer stunt kind mm-hmm. of, but like not even as good.
1: Yeah, very staged. Yeah. Yeah. And then he ends up meeting up with Quarrel, who um is someone that he already knows in the book. So again, this is like, I forget, like the fourth book maybe in the series, something like that. And there's actually a book, I think it's Live and Let Die, Mm -hmm. um, where he teams up with Quarrel and the CIA agent. Okay. And they're in Jamaica for something. It's only part of the story. Like, they're in Jamaica for a while, and then they're somewhere else. Okay. So he knows Quarrel. He's like, hey, buddy, like, I have some other stuff, like a new case. Like, you know, I'm going to need your help and everything. So they're pretty, like, thick from the start. You know, they're already friends. But in the movie, we're introduced to him.
0: Yeah. uh, In the film, he had been helping Strangways with whatever his mission had been on Jamaica. And that's how Bond kind of like tracks him down and meets him. Mm -hmm. How did you feel reading this book? It having it alluding to previous books? Because we've we've run into this a couple times. Yeah. Uh, The Snowman was Mm -hmm. a mystery novel that was like. I don't know, like, number seven in a series. Yeah. Uh, Also, the Die Hard book that we had read was actually a sequel. Yeah. That one we made fun of a lot because (laughs) its allusions to previous books were absurd. Yeah. But what did you think? I actually thought this one handled it pretty well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty standard action-slash-mystery novel, and there's quite a few of them. Like, you take the James Patterson books, you take, like, the Tom Clancy. um, Yeah. Like... Any of the Lee Child books now, like there is an order to them, but you can read them out of order. So yeah. they they give you the information you need um, in every book. So yeah. th- I think the, the writers assume that you might just be picking one up.
0: Maybe it's the fact that like if you're aware that it's part of a series. Yeah, it's more because like when we read the Die Hard book, we didn't know. I think at first it was a sequel. No, so we're just like, what the fuck is he talking about with all this like? backstory for this like this
1: is an elaborate backstory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I guess
0: just with a James Bond book, you're like, yeah, he's an agent. He's had other missions and we're just kind of in the middle of one.
1: Yeah. So
0: maybe that's a big part of it, but it didn't bother me too much. It was actually things were glossed over or wrapped up pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, I think it handled it well. Now,
0: Adina, we knew going into a James Bond story, there was going to be sexism a plenty.
1: Oh, blatantly. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
0: no doubt, we were going to run into like some some things worth talking about, where that's concerned. Uh, but I think the amount of racism that we encountered in this story, while not totally shocking, still managed to be quite shocking in parts.
1: Yeah, it was just like really depressing, honestly. Um, as someone who has to read this stuff. <laughs> for work I mean it's not work but like it's basically our job you know yeah. and I'm like I gotta read through this book like we're gonna do an episode on it but I was so bogged down especially in like the first half like it was so strong it kind of like is mostly racist the first half and then mostly sexist in the second half mm. and like it does like interchange like you get some racism in the second half yeah. You get some sexism in the first half but that's mostly the tra- trajectory of this novel and it made me want to, like, do some research, definitely, because this story takes place in Jamaica. And at the time that Ian Fleming wrote it, Jamaica was still under British control. Mm-hmm. So it was like a colony. And in the 60s, it actually gained its own independence and became its own, like, country. Kind of like Canada, where it's, like, loosely affiliated with England still. Yeah. But it has its own, like, government and everything. And... Here's the thing. The book is just incredibly racist, not only towards people who of African-American or black descent, but like people who are Chinese, people of mixed race, ancestry. Like it's just so blatantly upsetting. Yeah,
0: it actually it was kind of cool in that like it caused Adina and I to look into a bit of Jamaica's history because we were just like curious about it and we didn't know a lot about it. And it was enlightening to find out, you know, that the indigenous people who, you know, first lived on Jamaica were mostly wiped out by the settlers, and then a lot of slaves were brought in. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so, like, the Jamaican people are, you know, their ancestry is, like, heavily from slaves that were brought to that land.
1: Yeah, and it's something that, like, you know, growing up in the U.S., we don't always get, like, a super thorough history of, like, the world other than, like, just the U.S. And even though Jamaica is very close to the U.S., it's still, like, I don't know. We're not, like, taught the implications of slavery, really, and, like, what that means for, like, countries and for our own country and for, like, other places in the world. But when you think about it, like, you know, Jamaica was populated by indigenous tribes. Yeah. And they were basically all murdered. Um, and then, yes, some of them did survive and ended up intermarrying with the colonizers and with also the slaves that were brought over. But like to have the volume of slaves that were brought over to Jamaica, which was just astounding to think about.
0: Because sugar was such a... Oh, yeah. That was their main export from yeah, Jamaica. Yeah, the cane.
1: And so they had all these plantations, so they needed all this slave labor. Jamaica now is like 97% like African descent like everybody there is basically black and a lot of people are mixed you know a lot of people have um a few different um you know racial or like ethnicities in their heritage but like to just have that volume of slaves and have it just completely be like that culture and like you totally destroyed the native population it's just so fascinating and like i was reading about how a lot of the slaves, like, escaped and, like, lived in kind of the Jamaican interior and actually formed their own, like, independent societies. And they were actually, like, making war on the British and, like, trying to free other slaves. Like, it's really cool. I was like, wow, I really would love to read more about Jamaica's history because it's fascinating. Well,
0: and once uh, slavery ended, in order to continue the... um plantations and everything they had going on. They brought indentured servitude, mainly from China.
1: Yeah, and uh, India.
0: And India. And so Jamaica still has a lot of Chinese or people from Chinese uh, descent or background, Mm -hmm. which kind of all plays into this story, which is interesting. All the villains... I I shouldn't say it's interesting. The way the story (laughs) depicts it is awful. Terrible. Because all the bad guys are black or Chinese or... Black and Chinese mixed.
1: Yeah. And it's just from the very beginning, like page two, it is already like setting up how racist everything is. Like just from the way it describes African-American characters, I I say African-American as if we're in the US, (laughs) (laughs) black characters, Chinese characters, anybody, you know, with that isn't white is just described in such negative ways. And I just want to read a portion from the book and it's a character describing like kind of the ethnicities of Jamaica. And I'm sorry, I'm going to say like some like kind of offensive things, but it's in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, all right. This is a a character, Plydell Smith, talking. And he said, it's like this. The Jamaican is a kindly, lazy man with the virtues and vices of a child. He lives on a very rich island, but he doesn't get rich from it. He doesn't know how to, and he's too lazy. The British come and go and take the easy pickings. For about 200 years, no Englishman has made a fortune here. He doesn't stay long enough. He takes a fat cut and leaves. It's the Portuguese Jews who make the most. They came here with the British, and they've stayed. But they're snobs, and they spend too much of their fortunes on building fine houses and giving dances. They're the names that fill the social column in the gleaner when the tourists have gone. They're in rum and tobacco, and they represent the big British firms over here, motor cars, insurance, and so forth. Then come the Syrians, very rich too, but not such good businessmen. They have most of the stores and some of the best hotels. They're not a very good risk. Get overstocked and have to have an occasional fire to get liquid again. Then there are the Indians with their usual flashy trade in soft goods and the like. They're not much of a lot. Finally, there are the Chinese. Solid, compact discreet, the most powerful clique in Jamaica. They've got the bakeries and the laundries and the best food stores. They keep to themselves and keep their strain pure. Pleidel Smith laughed. Not that they don't take the black girls when they want them. You can see the result all over Kingston. Chigros. Chinese Negroes and Negresses. The Chigros are a tough, forgotten race. They look down on the Negroes and the Chinese look down on them. One day they may become a nuisance. They've got some of the intelligence of the Chinese and most of the vices of the black man. The police have a lot of trouble with them. So, yeah, it's just, like, roundly offensive in every category. I can't even explain. Well,
0: and it's worth mentioning, too, that character uh, Bond later thinks of, like, almost immediately after saying that, Bond considers him to be intelligent and, like, smart, and so basically correct about everything he says. And it's one of those moments where reading this This passage isn't meant to be reflective on that character who's saying it. We're not reading that and supposed to think, oh, this guy's a bigot or this guy's racist. So basically we read that and we're supposed to think, oh, okay, this is just like filling us in on the history. This is essentially Ian Fleming giving his depiction or, you know, idea of what Jamaica is.
1: Yeah. And Ian Fleming had a house in Jamaica and lived there part of the year. So like this is clearly his opinion just inserted in here.
0: Yeah, this is he's familiar with this country. Yeah. So yeah, you know, there's so many factors to this and like these quote unquote uh Chigros.
1: Yeah. Which uh, I, I feel like I'm using a slur saying that, so I apologize.
0: Yeah, no, it's not it's not f- <laughs> fun to say. Uh yeah, and that was like the second page. I'm like, oh my God, this book is already inventing I know. new offensive words Yeah, like on page two.
1: It's just really upsetting. It was yeah. upsetting for me to read.
0: Um, so. but, but they are a lot of the villains of the story. The main villain, Dr. No, is Chinese. Yeah. And a lot of his henchmen are uh, these black Chinese uh, men. Yeah. So it's just like anyone...
1: Anyone who's Chinese or like half Chinese, half black... Is a villain.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a lot, and it's pretty heavily packed in at the beginning, and yeah. was pretty. It was a lot to read. It
2: was, yeah. It the was only lot.
0: The only kind of good character, and by good I mean like not a villain, is Quarrel. Yeah. Who's black. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also not like great he's neutral yeah yeah (laughs) in the film he's actually kind of depicted as being a drunk yeah like he's just kind of drinking he's just like smashing on some rum Mm -hmm. throughout part of the story which i'm like all right i guess
1: (laughs) yeah i i agree with your like neutral take on coral
0: yeah he's just fine he also assaults a lady yeah but like bond asks him to so there it's equal accountability there
1: whatever Bond finds um, some evidence that Strangways was looking at rocks from Crab Key in the movie. Yeah. And so he kind of follows up on that and discovers that Professor Dent, who was one of the men who used to be like kind of friendly with Strangways, seems to be very suspicious.
0: Yeah. Just like bad vibes in general. Kind of like one of those shifty, sweaty guys who, you know, you just don't have a good feeling on. And Bond quickly discovers that these rock samples were radioactive. Yeah. And this professor never said that. So Bond knows there's something shifty about him. Mm -hmm. And there's something going on with this island where these samples came from.
1: Yeah. And then we see in the movie, uh, Professor Dent get on a boat and go to this place. And he goes into this like mysterious room. There's just like a voice speaking to him. We don't see. It's like almost coming in through like an intercom. Yeah. And this is our first kind of like hint of Dr. Nell.
0: Mm-hmm. And the professor is ordered to kill Bond and he's given a spider to do the job. Yeah. He's like, listen, these guns too complicated. <laughs> they they go wrong. This is my
1: best man here. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll do the job.
0: <laughs> His name is Harry. You get it? Tarantula Harry. All right. He's
1: never failed me. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, But so we get a scene in both the uh, book and the film where Bond is asleep in his room and discovers he has a bedmate. In the book, it is a big, gross centipede. And in the film, it's Harry, the tarantula, the
1: tarantula. Yeah. You know what? It's hard to explain, like, which is more horrifying because like a gross, hairy spider crawling on you. But then when you think about like a giant poisonous centipede it is almost worse the
0: centipede's worse yeah i'll go out and say the centipede <laughs> is way like given the size that it's d- described at as being like yeah what like six inches nine inches long oh my god the scent it, it, it's the leg factor it's just the number of legs
1: Ugh. is and how it, and creepy they can, it is they can move so fast yeah i don't like that <laughs> <laughs> i don't like centipedes
0: no but it's this really tense scene and i think it plays pretty well in both film yeah and book i called it though in the film yeah, there's a did. couple shots where you see the tarantula on sean
1: connery sean
0: connery <laughs> <laughs> I, I got the first name right i just blanked on the last
1: what would you do without me
0: <laughs> <laughs> i it would just be me uh, trying to think of a name for the rest of the podcast (laughs) refusing to look it up (laughs) uh there are a couple shots though where you see it on sean connery briefly like crawling up him yeah but i could tell the movement was a little weird like the way connery moved and the spider kind of didn't at points yeah and i guessed that the spider was actually on a sheet of glass mm. over top of Sean Connery. And yeah. I looked it up and I was fucking right. Because <laughs> I am good at knowing. You movies. are good. That's
1: your that's your strength. That's great. my forte.
0: That's what I bring to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in both versions, though, the set speed and the this- uh, tarantula, he has to kind of wait for it to like crawl off of him yeah. before he just grabs a shoe and smashes it to death.
1: Yeah. It's terrifying.
0: But, but tense. I Even in the book, I thought this was like a good scene.
1: Yeah. In the book, someone also tries to give him a gift of fruit that's poisoned. Yeah. So he's got that going for him. <laughs> <laughs> he meets up with uh, a Chinese secretary and in the movie and the movie is definitely not as, like, blatantly racist as the no. book is. No,
0: there's a couple lines that are like,
1: eh. Yeah, but I think we're to assume immediately, because she looks Chinese, that she is a villain.
0: So that's, yes, absolutely.
1: That's racist.
0: And Bond is suspicious of her and, like, asks her out to dinner. Yeah. And she agrees. And on his way to pick her up, he... Uh, is tailed by another car, the hearse, and the men who try who killed Strangways at the beginning chase Bond on this kind of mountainside road, and we get one of these, like, really classic, cheesy <laughs> rear projection car chases. Yeah. Where clearly it's just Sean Connery and half of a car on it's a movie no set. It's no
1: Fast and Furious. <laughs> <laughs> not.
0: The shot that, like, He goes under the crane. Yeah. Is really great. (laughs) But uh, yeah, he ends up losing them. The guys in the hearse are killed. And Bond arrives at the woman's house and she's like shocked to see him. She thought he'd be dead. Yeah. And he so he knows he knows at this point she set me up. She's a villain. Yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, I have to like do something. She has a
1: phone call and she's like, I have to take this phone call. And she's like. Yes, he's here. OK, I'll try to keep him here for a while. Like, yeah, clearly is like, OK, come and kill him. Like, we need to figure this out.
0: Yeah. And and Bond, I think hears the phone call. Oh Yeah. And then he like goes up to her and starts like, like macking on her.
1: Yeah. And she's like only in a bathrobe at this point.
0: And they have sex. And it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's supposed to be
1: sexy. It doesn't feel sexy. It's to me. so
0: weird because <laughs> on one end is Bond. Who knows this woman just tried to murder him like five minutes ago and is still
1: still actively trying, trying to, to kill him. him. Yeah.
0: And like, I know Bond films have a history of like the femme fatale character who's like kind of dangerous and maybe a threat, but like yeah. they still kind of like have sexy time and like that has worked in other Bond films. And like, I'm not saying that's inherently wrong, but like she was literally, she had literally just tried to kill him and I. You would assume she is, is not interested in fucking him. No. But he's like, well, I have five minutes, so I might as well fuck her. And she doesn't seem to want to. She seems to be.
1: No, she's like, like not that interested. Like, she's literally like, I'll try to keep him here. And she's like, I guess he wants to have sex. I guess I'll have sex with him. Like, it's not the femme fatale vibe because she's not into him. No. Like she's not giving off like sexy I'm into you vibes or I might kill you vibes. You no, know? it's like not that at all. It's kind of like, well, I wanted to kill you. And I guess if we have to wait until you can be dead, I'll have sex with you.
0: It just feels like Bond knows the situation of like, oh, she has to keep me occupied. Yeah, she's trying to kill me. He's just
1: taking advantage.
0: Yeah. And it just feels weird.
1: He, he, he fucks her twice. I know. Like- <laughs> he's like, I have time. He's yeah, at like, his like- watch like
0: he's like, wow, that first time did not take as long as I thought. Like we still have time. There are another. like so
1: many examples in this movie starting with the first scene where he has sex with um, Sylvia Trench. Yeah. Where he's like looking at his watch like, do I have time? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, this is not like a good example of how good he is at sex. No. Right? <laughs> like he's like, I only have like 10 minutes. I'm good though. I can have sex with her twice. Like, You will
0: not believe how fast I can finish. <laughs>
1: like it's not good.
0: <laughs> well, and and credit to the book Bond where it's due. Bond does not have sex the whole book. No. Uh, even though a later character really wants to bang him for a long time. Yeah. He's just like, now is not a smart time to have sex. Like, he's at least, like, focused enough on his job. And
1: his mission. Yeah,
0: to be like, now is not the right time to fuck. Yeah. Uh, so at least give that small... Nugget of...
1: That tiny victory to the book. <laughs> to the book.
0: <laughs> but yeah, this whole secretary sex scene is just very weird. It was not... It was not sexy in any way.
1: No. And then he, like, puts her in a cab? But... I was so confused by this.
0: He hands her off, I think, to, like, the police, the okay. authorities. Okay. Like, I don't know how much they knew.
1: Yeah. Not it, clear. No. And th- none of this is in the book. This secretary like. Yeah, this is all additional. Thing. Yeah.
0: And then he waits out and like his plan isn't bad because now that she's gone, he kind of like makes up the house to look like they had just been in it. He like makes the bed look like someone's in it. Yeah. And he waits in this dark uh, bedroom for whoever is going to show up and kill him. And he has to play solitaire because this is before smartphones. Yeah. He's like, what am I going to do all I wait? I have a deck of cards. And who shows up but the professor, and he gets the upper hand on him, and... And then he just shoots him. Yeah.
1: Which is kind of, like, unexpected.
0: It is, yeah. I kind of didn't... I, I only liked it because the professor had used up all his ammo shooting the bed. Yeah. And didn't realize he didn't have bullets left, but Bond knew because he counted. Yeah. it makes, There's a recurring joke on the show Archer. Yeah. Where... Archer is the only one who ever counts like the number of shots. And he's always like, what? Like, am I the only one who can count? Like, it made me think of that, which is maybe why the only reason I liked it.
1: Yeah. So after that whole episode, <laughs>
0: after whatever that was,
1: <laughs> whatever that was, um, Bond kind of solidifies his plans, how to proceed with his mission. And at this point in both the book and the movie, he's realized that this whole operation has been happening from this island off of Jamaica called Crab Key, who which is owned by Doctor No.
0: Yeah, and in the book, we the background we've been given so far on Crab Key is it's owned by Doctor No, and it's actually the an island that uh, is basically a bird porta potty. <laughs> yeah. uh, birds just land and shit on it and yep. move on, and so it's become this hub of guano. Uh, export
1: mm-hmm. which is the bird shit that's used as like fertilizer and I think there are other uses for it as well I actually
0: never knew I knew what guano was I just didn't know what it was used for
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: but yeah and so uh it was kind of a little interesting reading that background like in the book just a little bit a yeah. little interesting like it just felt bird like bird shit, you birds, know? yeah <laughs> it, it just felt like Ian Fleming had actually done like research on this topic and like the birds and the history and like yeah All all that stuff. And it was, like, very different than what I was expecting from a Bond book. Because in the film, uh, we know that these rockets being launched from Cape Canaveral are going off course. Yeah. And it has something to do with, like, radio frequencies they think they think are coming from Grab Key or mm-hmm. the Jamaica region, yeah, uh, which is much more Bond sounding, like what we're used to. Yeah, that's like
1: kind of, a Cold War esque. Yeah, yeah,
0: but that's why I liked the guano thing. Was I'm like, this is so weird <laughs> from what I was expecting, but I kind of liked it.
1: There's a side plot too in the book with these um, roseate spoonbills, which are like these endangered birds, and like, yeah, they live on the island. And like the Audubon Society um, is like trying to create like a sanctuary for them, and so they're like upset about stuff and it's just like very yeah very in depth about like the birds and this operation and everything yeah and and
0: the missile thing does come into play in the book just like later we don't know about that at first we just know it as, uh the bird shitting island <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the locals including coral are like people don't really come in and out of there and the man who owns it kind of has like an armed guard And the people that have gone there have like not come back.
0: Yeah. So there's kind of this air of mystery surrounding it. Also, maybe there's a dragon on it.
1: Possibly. We don't know.
0: (laughs) I was shocked that the film kept the dragon part. I know. I really thought that was going to be excluded. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) It just felt so ridiculous. I
0: know. So Bond and Quirrell uh, load up a canoe and kind of do this like stealth mission sailing in to the coast of this island. Uh... Quick side note, Bond's outfit in the film is so funny. He's like, we're going to go on this like stealth operation mission. So I was thinking like a baby blue pant polo combo, you know, like something really light and attention grabbing in like the jungle environment. It's just such like an odd
1: choice. I never thought of that, but you're so right.
0: Well, the thing that made me think of it so much was when he sees honey in the next scene, and he starts singing, and she says, "Who's there?" and they show the tree line. He's so visible <laughs> in that outfit that I'm like, "Well,
1: you know, that makes me think of when they're all hiding in the water yeah. like with the bamboo." And Quarrel's wearing like a bright red shirt, <laughs> <laughs> and
0: Ponds in this baby blue getup.
1: Yeah, it's not great. I'm like you did
0: not really dress well for this stealth operation. <laughs>
1: yeah. And here we are introduced to Honey. The sexism part of the book kicks in at this point.
0: It is just, especially in the book, especially in the book. Oh, my God. So fetishy. It's
1: so weird.
0: Because when he finds her, she is completely naked on the beach collecting shells with nothing but a leather belt.
2: With a
1: knife.
0: With a knife on it.
1: Yeah.
2: And I'm
0: like, this is some fucking... Like
1: it has to be some kind of like kink, right?
0: It it sure does feel that way, doesn't (laughs) it? Like it just feels so, um, I don't know, giving the reader exactly like what they want kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's such like a blatant, blatant fantasy. Like she's completely naked she's in the water i mean the allusion to like the birth of venus is like so hit you over the head with it like they mention it several times i mean the chapter
0: title is what called like
1: like venus the the
0: beautiful venus or something yeah uh yeah it describes like her entire body including her butt cheeks which bond weirdly describes like round like a young boys (laughs) like
1: not not great whoa
0: (laughs) (laughs) What a weird, uncomfortable direction to take that.
1: Yeah. And let's just talk about Honey in detail here, because we find out just like over the next bit of time, like kind of her backstory and what she's all about. And depending on the version, it's slightly different. But basically, she's an orphan. And in the book, she was kind of orphaned at a young age and raised by her black nanny. And in the movie, her father ended up being killed probably by Dr. No, so now she's alone.
0: Which is so weird, because why is she on that island?
1: Yeah, I know. If If her father died here? Yeah, if
0: her dad died and Dr. No killed him, why is she going back to this island to collect shells? Like, what a weird change to add to this movie that, like, makes it... Also, I didn't think about this till later, but... (laughs) Bond knows that radioactive soil samples came back from this island, so why the fuck is he going there?
1: Yeah, I know it's radioactive. <laughs> if the island is radioactive. Yeah, that's true.
0: Why is he there?
1: Like yeah. this is one of those things where,
0: like, sometimes in the film adaptation, I think they make little they they make changes to the plot that don't seem that drastic. Yeah, but then other things begin to, like, become weird up. or questionable. Like, why would they be going to an island they know is radioactive? Why <laughs> is Honey going to the island when her dad was killed here? And yeah. I'm not saying, like, the book was, like, soundproof in its logic of everything. No. um, But it becomes a little more apparent in the film when things start getting tweaked like
2: that.
1: Yeah. And in the book, too, Honey's nose is broken. <laughs> And this is because she tells Bond later that she was raped. And uh, the man who raped her ended up, like, breaking her nose and basically knocking her unconscious before he assaulted her. Um, So, And this is, like, kind of bandied about and, like, thrown at us as, like, a casual detail. And Bond is like, oh, I feel bad for her. But, like, the implications of what happened to her are not, like, talked about really at all.
0: No, if anything, it's just all... About the nose? All about her nose. (laughs) And like at first Bond, like, okay, this is how absurd it is. When he sees her on the beach and she realizes that he's like spying on her. Yeah. She gasps. And instead of covering uh, her vagina or her breasts or anything, she covers her nose. Yeah. And it's like implied at least or clearly Bond thinks that it's because it's broken and she's, like, ashamed of it.
1: Yeah. At one point later on, she talks about how, like, ugly she is because of her nose, even though she's, like, a gorgeous woman. And
0: she wants to go to America to get it fixed. And Bond, the gentleman, the gentleman <laughs> that Bond is, as as the book goes on, he's like, you know what? I don't even, like, notice her nose anymore. Yeah. I wonder why. As he stares at her, like, boobs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But he's like, and then later he's like, I don't even think she should get it fixed. Like I kind of like, it's like a part of her, you know? Like I'm such a feminist and like so (laughs) accepting of people and their (laughs) deformities as he calls it.
1: Yeah, he calls it a deformity.
0: It's just so ridiculous.
1: It, It really is. And like, you know, it's not as big of a deal in the movie. I think like she's not naked. She's wearing a bikini. She's clearly objectified but she's not like, oh, she's totally naked and fetishized as much as in the in the book, really.
0: Yeah, it's certainly more it, it falls in line with like other Bond. In fact, it's like a pretty iconic Bond girl. Yeah. Um, reveal or like introduction, I mm-hmm. should say her kind of coming out of the water um, in in her swimsuit. But. Yeah, it's certainly not, like, worse than, like, most other Bond girl scenes, I should say.
1: Yeah. We do get, though, I think really strongly in the book, like, the the book makes a connection between Honey and, like, animals a lot. Like, mm-hmm. he calls her, he compares her to a dog frequently. He talks about how she's very, like... Animalistic and like very close to nature, kind of like a savage in a lot yeah. of ways, which is like really weird and also feels kind of fetishy.
0: Yeah, but also how young she is. We find out later that she's 20. So mm-hmm. she's not a she's not a teenager, but like we don't know how old Bond is. No. But he's old enough to like question if she's a child. Yeah. So a good bit older, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, but there's one part in the book that I think summarizes a lot of this up pretty quickly that I'll read. There was silence in the clearing. It was getting cold. Bond put his head down on his hunched knees. He knew it was no good trying to get to sleep. His mind was full of the day and this extraordinary girl Tarzan who had come into his life. It was as if some beautiful animal had attached itself to him. There would be no dropping the leash until he had solved her problems for her. He knew it. Of course, there would be no difficulty about most of them. He could fix the operation, even with help from friends, find a proper job and a home for her. He had the money. He would buy her dresses, have her hair done, get her started in the big world. It would be fun, but what about the other side? What about the physical desire he felt for her? One could not make love to a child, but was she a child? (laughs) There was nothing childish about her body or her personality. She was fully grown and highly intelligent in her fashion, and far more capable of taking care of herself than any girl of 20 Bond had ever met.
1: Yeah, I think that passage like clearly describes. I mean, in that passage alone, he compares her to an animal. He compares her to a child. He says that she's smart in her way. Yeah,
0: there is clearly (laughs) like an asterisk there. Yeah, Uh,
1: He talks about like wanting to civilize her, like put on like fancy clothes, make her hair better, like get her a job.
0: Yeah, and there is a there's a video that we'll link to. We've we've probably talked about it at some point on the podcast, but we'll link to it on our Patreon. Uh, It's by a YouTuber named Pop Culture Detective, and it's this trope that's very heavy in science fiction films, but also a lot of other films. And it's called Born Sexy Yesterday.
1: Yeah. And the premise of it is basically that there's a woman who has the mind of a child, but in a fully grown woman's body. And the reason it's often used in sci-fi is because, like, this may apply to, like, android women. Yes. Um, An example of this is, like, The Fifth Element. Yeah. uh, The woman in Tron. Um ex
0: machina to an extent, even though it plays with that idea. Yeah. Uh, Or like um aliens. Mm -hmm. Or but there's also kind of a subset of this that kind of ties into like indigenous people. Yeah. Like think of like uh
1: Pocahontas.
0: Pocahontas, yeah, where like the
1: The colonizer colonizer
0: shows up and he's like, Let me show you about like the real world and
1: Yeah, and the reason that this like I mean this trope is just like so rooted in misogyny and also in this like colonization mindset, which is really gross. But it's mostly about how the man is average, but because the girl is like basically stupid, it turns (laughs) him into like a hero.
0: Yeah, he just becomes like, great for just being, like, middle of the road. Like, he just got to her first. Yeah. Is usually, like, the theme of why he's so great.
1: And it's it's very, like, creepy when you think about it because it is, like, this mind of a child. Like, a woman who knows nothing of the world and is innocent, like, pure and, like, Basically like a tiny baby, but she has this sexy adult woman's yeah. body that you could totally fuck.
0: And Honey talks. There, there's a scene we'll mention later more when we get to it that really cements this idea. But even early on, Honey kind of talks about like, I I don't really know about sex, but her uh, life ambition is to move to America and become a high class prostitute. <laughs> Not even fucking kidding. That's what she wants to do. Become a high class prostitute. So like just this weird blend of sexy and like but not knowing anything and child and i highly recommend anyone watch that video by pop culture detective born sexy yesterday you will be shocked like it may seem like a really niche movie trope but you'll be shocked seeing all the examples of it and how prevalent it is in film and media in general and this is specifically in the book, a really strong example of it.
1: Yeah, there are shades of this in the movie, but it's definitely not as in-your-face and overt, I'd say.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about dragons.
1: Oh, yeah, the dragon. (laughs) God, the the movie version of this, like, looked so bad. So, It it literally looked like someone had made, like, a vehicle into, like, a shark. Yeah. For, like, a parade or something.
0: It looked like they just, like... Uh, put a very flimsy shell on like a station wagon. Yeah. (laughs) That just had kind of like teeth cut out of it. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. And and once again, like playing into both the racism and the sexism is both Quarrel and uh, Honey both believe and have seen in the dragon or both believe in the dragon or have seen it. And Bond is like, Um, listen, you idiots. idiots. I'll tell like you're just clearly misunderstanding. You don't you didn't actually see a dragon.
1: Yeah. And then Coral gets killed by the dragon
0: girl gets uh, burnt. Yeah. To a cinder.
1: Uh, Again, the the estimation of Coral's character is like sinking as (laughs) like the only kind of like not terrible character of color in this story is just killed.
0: Yep. The one. That they ha- And we'll just have to take people's word for it that he was in a previous book that he, like, wasn't killed in, yeah. I guess. But, like, <laughs> he doesn't make it out of this one alive. No. Uh, and after he- Quarrel is killed, which, by the way, it really seems like Bond's fault. Yeah. Bond is like, you go over there and yeah. shoot at it. And I'll go over here and shoot at it. <laughs>
1: which is behind which, you. <laughs> which,
2: which is behind
0: or to the side of the car and where it's going. Yeah. Uh, but they get captured, uh, Honey and Bond, After Quirrell is killed and taken to Dr. No's hidden mountain base.
1: Yes, but before they can enter, they are highly radioactive, so might be currently dying. We don't know. In the film. Yeah. Because
0: in the book, the radiation is not a thing in the book. No. But once again... I laughed because the men who come out of the dragon car thing are in hazmat suits. And that was the moment when I'm like, wait, yeah, this island's radioactive. What the fuck are... What (laughs) are they doing? Why is Bond here? (laughs) What is he doing? Yeah. Uh, But they get taken and they get hosed down with like some suds and like very lazily brushed down. Yeah. And I guess are no longer radioactive. Well,
1: they go through a sexy decontamination shower, Ian.
0: Which... Austin Powers totally spoofs, (laughs) by the way, that that scene of them going on the conveyor belt. Uh, But yeah, they get de-radioactivized, I suppose.
1: Yeah. And then they're like brought into these fancy rooms and promptly drugged. Yeah. For like a fancy time, but then it's going to be a bad time.
0: But we do get the part in the book, though, where before they eat the food, they are drugged, where Honey is like... Bond is like, go go take a bath, honey. Yeah. And she's like how do I use the bathroom? <laughs> and she's like, how do I m- make a bath? I and, don't know how to wash myself. And Bond is like, okay, let me run the bathroom. And he like fills up the bath. And then she's like, how do I wash my body? And <laughs> Bond is like, listen, I can't do this for you. And she's like, take care of me. And like, But like wants to fuck him though. It's so weird. It's so weird. And like, like that was the part where I'm like, wow, this is so born sexy yesterday. Cause I've been, until that point I was like okay she's like kind of capable like on her own and like yeah. you know I wouldn't say that she's like dumb but this scene she's just like "What soap <laughs> <laughs> Bond and Honey though when they wake up which by the way when they were knocked out the only thing that happened was like Dr. No like crept into their room like a creep and just yeah. like looked, looked at, at, at them. them that was it that was the whole point Yeah, of the drugging <laughs> Uh, but they are invited to dinner the following morning or the following evening and then are led through the fancy mountain base, which, by the way, I just want to say, I don't know if this was the movie that like established this trope. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of funny to watch it and specifically read about it because like you can see flashes of this in like so many other films. Like I immediately thought of the Incredibles, yeah, which is that volcano base mm-hmm. on like a jungle island. Uh, Austin Powers parodies this with Dr. Evil's base. Um, just that whole idea of like isolated tropical island with like a really nice modern aesthetic base like in yeah. a mountain yeah. um, became such a prominent trope in these kinds of movies mm-hmm. in the future.
1: Yeah. And Dr. No has like all the fanciest furniture and the fanciest food. He has this whole like wall that's been like you know, carved away so he can, like, see the fish, um, because it's, like, right into the ocean. Unfortunately, the movie didn't quite have the budget for this, so (laughs) instead we just get blown-up video of goldfish.
0: Yeah, the story behind that is allegedly that, like, they didn't get the fish footage until, like, the day of shooting, and when (laughs) they projected it, they were like, oh, this is, like, a close-up of fish. yeah. So they made some throwaway line where Dr. No is like, ah, yes, that's the uh, magnifying effect uh, of the glass <laughs> on the fish. Um, I actually thought at first that the fish were enormous because of the radiation. <laughs> and I was like, wait, is that his whole plan? It's to like mutate fish to like sell, to like corner the fish market? I would have liked that plan that's a really lot better.
2: Funny.
0: I love that. <laughs> um, but we have to talk about... Dr. No in the film, the man who is Chinese, but absolutely not Chinese at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, I kind of expected this. It's, you know, the 50s. Yellow facing is something that happened all the time in the film industry and in fact happened until not that Long ago when we talked about Cloud Atlas. Yep, Cloud Atlas
0: did it. <laughs> so,
1: um, yeah, it's a problem and it's not okay. And so the the actor who plays Dr. No is white. And then the woman who also plays the Chinese secretary is white. Yeah. It's like they, they put, like, a Chinese-style dress on her. They, like really did her like eye makeup and they're like, all right, we're good.
0: Yeah. The woman was like, not as totally noticeable as her not being Asian, probably just like the heavy eye makeup and oh, stuff. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as Dr. No walked on scene, I was just like,
1: yeah, he's oh not God,
0: Asian. Uh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I want to talk to about the fact that like he has metal hands, And he talks about in his backstory how, like, his hands were cut off because he had ties to this, like, Chinese criminal ring um, and, like, betrayed them. And so they cut off his hands. And this deformity, which we hear a lot about in the book, they talk about him being deformed and, like, Honey being deformed with her nose being broken. is just, like, kind of linked to the fact that he's a villain. Yeah. And it's almost like he's a villain because he has a disability. And, like, the disability makes him a villain.
0: And this is something that, sadly, the Bond franchise has still not gotten away from. Yeah. Every villain still has some type...
1: I mean, you talk about Skyfall. Yeah,
0: Skyfall or Casino Royale or I don't remember Quantum of Solace that well. Yeah. Um, I think Spectre gets into that later. And then the trailer for the newest one coming out, No Time to Die... The villain, once again, has, like, half of a mask on his face, I think, because he's deformed in some way. Yeah. It's just, like, such a continuous recurring.
1: And it's so problematic to perpetuate this trope that people who may have a disability or may just, like, not look exactly, you know, like everybody else are inherently wrong or, like, inherently evil. There's something like, messed up about them. Yeah. I just, it's really upsetting.
0: It's funny because, like, Bond, in a lot of ways, has gotten better over the years on its depiction of women to an extent, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Like, it's, it's become more self-aware to at least not be, like, super blatant about that stuff. Um, But this is one uh, recurring theme in the Bond franchise that really has not gotten any better at all over the years. I
1: agree. And I think his ethnicity is also tied to his villain status as well, being Chinese, being, like, other in that way. And his motives in this are, like, okay, he wants world domination. Like, he's disrupting the, the satellites or the missiles or something. I don't know.
0: It's, like, how does, what's the market strategy for disrupting these missile launches? Like, he kind of gets into it in the book about, like, oh, people would pay good money for me to, like, disrupt these rocket launches. But yeah. I'm like, aren't you doing that already? Like, aren't yeah. you doing that for free right now? Like, why are you... Well, there's, like,
1: a Russian connection. In the movie, he says he's part of Spectre, which is, like, this terrorist, international terrorist organization.
0: Yeah, it's just, like...
1: Vague villain Vague, motives.
0: vague motives that, like, don't translate into money or anything or it's like very confusing
1: he's just evil Ian and
0: and even in the book he's like well maybe one day I'll like take a rocket too like maybe it'll like fly over here and like land in the water and I'm like what do you what's your end game here it doesn't sound like you have a clear strategy for like where this is going no it really sounds like you're just kind of like improvising
1: (laughs) yeah and after this traditional scene in these types of movies where the villain reveals his motives, his backstory and like what's going to happen. Oh
0: yeah. (laughs) It's like the most of that ever. Oh yeah. He just tells Bond like, I'm telling you this because I think you're the only man who would appreciate my genius. I'm like, (laughs) dude, really?
1: (laughs) (laughs) All I have to do is kill him, but he won't even do that because he's like, guess what? I have an obstacle course of death that I'm going to send you on in the book.
0: It's funny, the the book felt more grounded than the movie. Yeah. Up until this point. Yeah. Once Dr. No's introduced, he's this super ridiculous villain. <laughs> over the top. Over the top villain. And then he's like, Bond, I'm going to kill you by putting you through this crazy obstacle course that I just like have lying around. Yeah. And as for the woman, I'm going to tie her down. So a migration of crabs will eat her alive.
1: You're like, what?
0: And suddenly you're like, what am I reading? What is happening? Because this was also at the dinner scene is when we're introduced to his like missile motives in the book as well.
1: Yeah, which we had never heard about until this. Point. No.
0: So now he's like, this mad scientist with claws for hands who's like <laughs> taking over missiles and is going to kill people via crab or murderous obstacle course. Yeah. And you're just like, what the this fuck is, a lot. is going on right now?
1: Yeah. And then we have to go with Bond on his journey of pain. Um, And I think this went on for far too long. They could have cut like some of the things from the obstacle course oh, maybe yeah. I, or just made it Like, just made it the thing where they drop him in the ocean with the squid. Like, have that be longer. Make that more, like, cinematic or, like, interesting. They have him, like, crawling through these pipes. And then the pipes get hot. And then he's getting burned. And then there's, like, spiders. And he has to, like, get past the spiders. And then there's, like, something he has to crawl up. And he has to, like, his muscles are straining. He has to, like, really, like, climb up it.
0: And then, yeah, then he gets dropped like, outside into, like, a penned-off ocean part. Yeah. Where he has a giant squid. That he has to fight. That he has to... He fights <laughs> a giant squid.
1: Yeah. I'm like, why didn't they... They should have devoted more page <laughs> time to this. This was the more interesting Do,
0: thing. Dr. No should have started with the giant squid. Yeah. Like, he should have started with that and then, like, let I know Bond. he's, like,
1: trying to test, like, how soon Bond will die and if he can get through all these obstacles. And, like, the the squid is, like... the the biggest possible thing. But like, I just felt like it would have been a more interesting story if it was just the squid.
0: Yeah. It also would have like, I don't know. The obstacle course already had such a like suspension of disbelief element that when you get to the squid, you're like, what the fuck? I
1: know. If
0: he had just done the squid, it would have been a little bit more like, all right, (laughs) I can go along with this, whatever.
1: It's weird though, because the movie almost Follows that plot line like a bit and then doesn't quite do it.
0: Yeah, because Bond gets locked up in a room and we're not told anything about an obstacle course or anything. He just gets locked up in a room and. Then the scene plays out almost exactly like the book where he like takes the um, cage off of a vent shaft, which electrocutes him at first. And Mm -hmm. then he like crawls through it and
1: then it gets hot.
0: Yeah. And then. Uh, he has to climb upwards or climb downwards, I forget. And then water floods it. Yeah. So, like, it starts off just looking like he's escaping through a vent. Yeah. But then, like, there's water. And I'm like, where? what, the f-
1: what vent is this? Where is
0: he? <laughs> yeah, like, what is this thing that he's in?
1: Yeah, but then he just comes out of it. And it's, like, fine. So it's not, like, the obstacle course where he's actually, like, being put through these tests. And, like, they're trying to kill him. It's just, like, oh, this is, like, what the... Vents are like in the (laughs) Dr. No facility. I don't know.
0: It's funny because it's almost like for as absurd as the movie was. They looked at like the obstacle course thing and they're like, oh, this is too absurd. We can't.
1: (laughs) We don't have the budget for this. No. (laughs) Or
0: Or they're just like, no one's going to believe this. Let's just have him crawl through some weird vents for a while.
1: Yeah. Let's um, finish up with the book ending here and talk about how this all ends.
0: Yeah. um, Once Bond kills or like incapacitates the giant squid yeah uh he's and and like i guess no one's watching no one's him. watching <laughs> yeah because like once the squid is dead he's outside and he's just like okay. well i guess i'm gonna go find dr no yeah i guess i i guess just no one was paying attention no so he like finds a loading dock on the island that dr knows on and they're currently um loading it up with uh, guano from like this conveyor belt controlled by a crane. Mm -hmm. And so Bond uh, takes the crane over without anyone noticing and then just turns the conveyor belt over and buries Dr. No in a literal pile of shit and kills him.
1: Yep, that's the end. Just suffocated to death in his own guano. (laughs) Gross. Thanks. I, I at, at this point. It's for, sort of anticlimactic, but whatever. It is.
0: But for as dumb as the book got to up to this point, like I kind of just laughed about it. I was like, all right. Yeah. He, he dies in a pile of shit. Like, sure.
1: I Yeah, I'll buy that. <laughs> he runs into Honey, like literally runs into her. And he was like, oh, I was going to save you from being eaten by crabs. And she was like, oh, crabs don't eat people. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, yeah, I just laid there and waited for them to like crawl over me. And then I like got myself free. <laughs>
0: Which, once again, I guess no one was watching her.
1: Yeah, no one was watching her.
0: (laughs) Or knew what crabs ate.
1: No one knows what crabs do, Ian. No
0: (laughs) (laughs) No one has any idea. Scientists have been trying to figure it out for years.
1: And then they end up getting on a boat and escaping back. And it weirdly cuts to Bond kind of at the... Like, bureaucracy, like, government building in Jamaica explaining what happened. And, like, the people there are, like, or at least the governor guy is, like, not super happy about any of this. And is, like, I guess we have to, like, go clean up this mess at Crab Key or whatever. It's sort of, like, very weirdly, tonally different then, like, the mm. high suspense of everything that has just happened. And then it's like, oh, paperwork, like.
0: Yeah, Bond is just, like, very distracted in the, and, like, reading it, I was distracted. Like, I was really I just skimming over those yeah, parts. Yeah, you just
1: wanted it to be like, well, what what's going to happen? And then it does end with him and Honey, like, getting together and them having sex. And, like, that's the end, so.
0: I guess she wasn't a child after all. <laughs> the end.
1: The end. <laughs> Let's talk about the movie.
0: Let's talk about the movie. Uh, Once Bond escapes the not obstacle course ventilation system, (laughs) uh, there is currently a operation going on to botch a rocket
1: launch. Yeah.
0: Um, At
1: Cape Cape Canaveral in the US.
0: Yeah. And so Bond pulls a classic kind of Bond-esque move where he like takes out one of the guys in the hazmat suits and puts it on himself and
1: proceeds to
0: <laughs> go into the room
1: the control room the
0: control room where like the radioactive core in the water is and like all the guys that the dials are at and bond just like meanders in. around he picks up a folder and is like pretending to read it and like to the point where someone notices him and they're like
1: why aren't you at your station Yeah, what
0: are you doing he's like oh yeah and then like meanders over to the control panel. He's so conspicuous. I'm like, aren't you supposed to be like the greatest spy in the world? And he's just like, has no idea what to do. He doesn't
1: know how to blend in.
0: He's just like milling around (laughs) doing absolutely nothing.
1: Then he heads over to uh, the danger meter. I'm not making that up. It's called the danger meter. And he cranks it up. He cranks up the danger as Bond
0: always should. Um, and things start, I guess that, like, ruins what was going on. The radio signal that was going to disrupt the rocket Ian, launch. I can't
1: even tell you how unclear this whole operation is. I
0: have no idea what's going on. The <laughs> radioactive core in the water is going nuts. Yeah. Dr. No realizes what's going on, and he goes up to try to give Bond the, the old clamps. Yeah. He's going to clamp them. Yeah. And they get in a fight where... They end up on this, like, descending elevator thing into the water. Yeah. And ultimately, Dr. No...
1: Falls into the water.
0: And can't climb out because...
1: His... Uh, metal hands can't grip. They don't have, like, the no-slip pads attached no. <laughs> to the fingers. Like, Wait. he just keeps trying to grip and get out of the water, but he can't. And I'm we, like, this is so ridiculous. We just get
0: these close-up shots of, like, his <laughs> awkward metal hands, like, kind of trying to grab. Oh, my God. Like, the frame, and it just, it it just can't quite. And the, then. Just this
1: scene was just, like, so bizarre.
0: It was so hokey. You have no idea what's happening, Bond just does not seem to have any clue what to do.
1: No. Uh, Then I guess the whole island is just going to explode now because Bond turned the danger meter up too high. Did he,
0: like, cause a nuclear meltdown? Yes. I'm like, I get that you, like, saved this rocket probably, but, like... At what cost? What are the ecological consequences of, like, you causing a nuclear meltdown
2: (laughs) In in the Caribbean? Yeah.
0: He doesn't care, though. He's too busy punching random people trying to find out where Honey
1: is. Yeah. And then Honey is just chained to, like, some water that's creeping up on her. And so he unchains her. They get on a boat and they head out. And
0: (laughs) I just have to say, Bond punches so many random people on their escape (laughs) and they climb in the boat Right? Yeah. This is a huge boat. Yeah. This boat could hold like 20 people and there's two guys already in it. Bond punches them and knocks them out of the boat and takes the boat for himself and honey. Leaving these people to die on the island. That's
1: like having a nuclear meltdown. I just was like, Bond, I I think the mission
0: (laughs) is over. Like you can save a few people. Like these are just.
1: Workers.
0: Yeah. These are just workers. Like give them a hand. But nope. He knocks them out.
1: Yeah, and then they run out of fuel for their motor, so then they're lost at sea, but then they're immediately rescued by like the CIA guy. Yeah. And they're and their boat, so they're like, "Here's a rope. You can tow we can tow you to safety." And then honey is like, "Oh, but what if like we start making out instead?"
0: <laughs> what if I just like suck your dick, you know, <laughs> real quick on the boat? And
1: Bond. And Bond's like, okay, and, that sounds better. And I
0: guess Bond was holding the rope that they were being towed with. And he just lets it go. And so the other ship keeps going and they they turn around and see them. And yeah. they're like, oh, oh Bond. Those two.
1: Yeah. But I'm like. Are they just gonna leave them there? Yeah, are they? <laughs>
0: It's like, look, I get it's supposed to be, like, campy and kind of fun and dumb. Yeah. But it's so dumb to the point that I'm like, this is absolutely absurd. They need
1: fresh water. (laughs) Like, yeah.
0: First of all, prioritize you two. Come on. Second of all, do they either, A, want to be left by themselves in the middle of the ocean to fuck? Yeah. Or the boat's just going to have to come back around and get them. They're not going to give you three minutes bond (laughs) to get it up and and get off and and then tow you back home. I don't know. It was just, I I guess the appropriate ending for how absurd this movie and this story was as a whole.
1: Yeah. So now we have to decide which one we prefer.
0: Adina, I want to give you the chance to voice your opinion first, because I think I know, and I think I know what you're going to say, but I would rather hear it first. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think this is actually pretty solid film for me. Yeah. The book is just awful, I gotta say. It is terrible. The racism is just, like, so over the top that it, it was kind of making me, like, not want to keep reading it. Like, I kept not wanting to pick it back up even though I knew I knew I had to read it for the podcast. The whole, like, Born Sexy Yesterday and, like, the weird fetish fetishizing of, like, Honey was very uncomfortable. The plot really didn't make any sense. And in fact, um Ian Fleming actually had some criticism from this book. Like this one was m- more criticized than any of his other books, I think.
0: Really? Yeah. Over and what? Like the Just st- like
1: people thought that it was kind of silly and like mm. kind of leaning too much into like the sexy thing. Uh, yeah. I think people thought it was a little like too um scandalous maybe. I see.
0: Like he's kind of ramping everything up a bit too much maybe.
1: Yeah. So like Other people, you know, were kind of feeling that way when this book first came out. And like, there are some interesting aspects to the book, I will say. But like, it just was an unpleasant experience for me. And the movie is equally batshit in certain places. But then again, like, it's much shorter. There's not really as much racism in it. And it's just kind of like a silly romp. Yeah. So I'm like, fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I agree with you. I, I have to say the film as well. Like, first and foremost, it's just shorter. Yes. It's less of this story. Uh, And it is, like, overall a little sillier. It's not ne- nearly as overtly racist. Yeah. But it is funny when I was thinking about the two and trying to compare them. Because, like, where one was better in one way, like, okay, the film wasn't as overtly racist as the book was yeah but there was also yellow face in it yeah so now i'm like weighing the the which is like maybe (laughs) less bad like the overt racism of the book or the yellow face of the film yeah and like you know i did like some elements of the plot of the book better like i I don't know the guano thing was like kind of interesting while that was going on i wish honestly that was just like the main yeah motive of dr no yeah uh bird shit bird shit Yeah. yeah Why not? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas the film maybe felt like a little sillier the whole way throughout. But then the book ramped it up way at the end. Yeah.
1: Uh, God, it was so like weird at the end. I was like, what's happening? The giant
0: squid. I know. So it was just like it was funny because I was comparing things that were like just vastly different but and hard to compare. But I was like trying to anyway. Yeah. Um, ultimately. The film is shorter. It's a little campier.
1: Here's what I'll say. Definitely. You can watch the movie and be like parts of that were enjoyable. I would never recommend this book to anyone.
0: That's a really good way to summarize it. Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) Like parts of the movie. Yeah, there were parts that were fun or that I liked or whatever.
1: The Book. Don't read the book. That's our message to you.
0: Yeah, don't
1: read the book. (laughs) Let's do lightning round.
0: Let's do lightning So, first up for lightning round, uh, Dr. No in the book has, like, more quirks than just, like, his metal pinchers for hands. Yeah. Um, He's had, like, a bunch of surgeries, and he's kind of, like, an odd-looking man because of them. Uh, But one thing it talks about a lot is he has contact lenses. Yeah. Which must have been, like, really big for the time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Or new for the time. But, Adina, why would a man... With metal pinchers for hands, (laughs) wear contact lenses. How would he
1: get them in? (laughs) How
0: would he get them in? Or does like an assistant put them in every morning? Like, why would you go through that?
1: That's, that's, oh my God. I never thought of that. Why does a man
0: with metal (laughs) pinchers wear contacts?
1: Also, what type of contacts are they? Because it talks about him tapping his eyeball with his pinchers and then like making a, a sound.
0: Maybe they were like actual glass back then. Oh my God. How would you get that in your eye? I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> just I forget when I realized that I' like, wait a minute.
1: <laughs> so tying into that, another thing that I want to mention is I was reading this book, and it's this scene where he's talking to Bond, and he's kind of revealing his his plots and stuff. And this is this is sort of like the line. He said, And now mr james bond of the secret service let us tell each other our secrets first to show you that i had nothing i will tell you mine then you will tell me yours but let us tell each other the truth he drew one steel claw out of the wide sleeve and held it upwards he paused i shall do so but you must do the same if you do not these he pointed the claw at his eyes will know that you are lying and i don't know why when i first read this I thought that he meant his claws would know that Vaughn <Mom> was lying. Because, <laughs> like, he talks about, like, pointing his claws at his, like, pointing his claws. And he I am like. He, like, lifts
0: them up first. Yeah,
1: these. And I'm like, these puppies right here. <laughs> maybe
0: it's, like, in uh, Spider-Man 2, the Tobey Maguire one, where, like, Doc Ock with the tentacles, like, maybe his hands have, like. Oh,
1: they whisper to him. Yeah, they have, like,
0: minds of their own. <laughs> <laughs> uh so in the film the, they were actually going to do a version of the crab scene <laughs> like it is in the book the problem was they shipped in the crabs from god knows where and they were frozen at the time
1: or like partly frozen yeah so they'd be fresh
0: yeah, and basically the crabs were, like, sluggish and, like, just wouldn't move. <laughs> and so they just had a bunch of, like, stationary, non-moving crabs. <laughs> and they were like, you know what? Let's just tie her down and see, like, the water's going to rise. Yeah. And we'll just leave it at that.
1: <laughs> Instead of some half-dead crabs. Instead of, like,
0: pushing crabs onto her.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I just want to mention that we find out, you know, Bond's drink order, which I know everyone knows it's a martini and he likes it shaken, not stirred. But the full order, uh, his drink order is a medium vodka, dry martini, lemon peel, shaken, not stirred with a Russian or Polish vodka. Very specific.
0: Here's the thing I don't understand. And this is weird because I've been making cocktails lately. Yeah. At home. My understanding was that a dry martini was, quote unquote, dry because it was made with dry gin.
1: Yeah, I don't understand that either. So how is a vodka vodka
0: martini dry?
1: I don't know. Please uh, email us or (laughs) send (laughs) us some info. Yes. Yes. On Twitter or on Instagram because we don't know.
0: I could be totally wrong about my assumption. That's what I've heard. But yeah, so I was like, wait, why is a vodka martini dry? I don't... I don't get that. Yeah. (laughs) So the last thing for the lightning round is uh, when we were watching it, the, the scene at the beach where Bond meets Honey, you know, was going on and Quirrell shows up in the scene and then Adina went, what the fuck was that? I was like, what? She's like, go back. And so we like rewound it. And there's a shot of Bond and Honey together. Yeah. And in the corner, what seems like in the foreground, like right beside Honey.
1: Yeah. Is... moving person yeah it's like some kind of like almost looks like a place that she was gonna set the shells on and maybe they were like kind of waiting for her to put the shells on something but like it's moving and it's really weird
0: yeah it's like very weird and unsettling (laughs) and i really tried to look into like if someone knew what it was was it like a crew member or like a piece of equipment or like well, once you saw it, it was kind of like weird. It was
1: very unsettling. <laughs> I'll say, I was like, "Is this like a mole person, like coming up from the and ground?" It's, it's on
0: screen for quite a while. Yeah, like it's not like a boom mic when it like dips into frame for like a second and then back out or something. It's like,
2: yeah, just kind of,
0: I don't know, like there it's, in it's the corner, waiting. Ian. It's <laughs> waiting. It's waiting. For, it's biding its time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's it for Lightning Round, and that wraps up our episode as well. Thank you so much for listening. Um. I don't know if we'll do another Bond adaptation. Honestly, I don't know if I can handle it. I've (laughs)
0: liked talking about it so much that (laughs) I maybe would want to, but we'll see what the people, what the listeners have to say. Yes, let us
1: know what you think.
0: Uh, You can email us at CoverToCreditsPod at gmail.com. Tweet at us, Instagram message us, Facebook us. You can find all those social media links uh, on the platforms or on our website, cover com.
1: And you can support us on Patreon if that's something you want to do. We love everybody who gives us that support over there. All our patrons get our bonus episodes and they also get priority requests. So when they request an episode, we always try to do it um, as soon as possible. So yeah. if you'd love to support us, check out Patreon. There's a lot of cool stuff over there.
0: Our bonus episodes come out roughly once a month, which is like that's like 50 percent more cover to credits content.
1: That's true. Yeah. 50% more. That's a pretty, that's
0: pretty, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty, good. good. Uh, yeah, so that sounds appealing. Go over there. And thank you for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time.
1: See you next time. Bye. Bye.